somebody says they're going to 565, like you don't really know what it is. You know, you're just kind of like, oh, okay. And I liked that that logo kind of fed into that just like mysteriousness. Hey, I'm Luther Young, and this is Value Plus Contrast. If you're listening, welcome. This is my first episode. I'm excited to launch the podcast to share stories of working with really talented and creative people to build designs around their unique ideas. So with that said, sit back, listen up, and enjoy. That's the voice of Katrina Bello, a singer-songwriter based in New York. Even if you didn't know she made music, you could guess that she created work related to sound. Her voice has a unique rhythmic quality. But up until recently, Katrina hadn't shared this with many people outside her friends and family. Some people I had met in New York didn't even know that I sang. Like, I just never put that out as, like, a part of myself. So when Katrina decided it was time to highlight her music, she laid out a plan. She started to write new songs and think about places to perform and finally share this side of herself with the world. But rather than booking a slot at a local club, she decided to host her first show at her favorite new venue, 565 Monroe Street, her one-bedroom apartment in Bed-Stuy. Thinking of doing this thing, I'm going to invite like 20 people to the house. We're going to create a performance space. Like it's going to be super chill. It doesn't have to be refined or anything. Like just come and emote and express. Her address number became the name of the series. After that first run, 565 Sessions was born. Following a year of hosting shows, Katrina decided it was time to set up a brand for the experience. We worked closely to create a design that rendered the numbers 565 into a continuous and interlocked curve. But the logo was only a small representation of Katrina's connection to music, her inspirations, and the creative space she was stepping into. Um, And yeah, in our living room, Downstairs, we had this like pink carpet, these paneled wooden walls. Like I remember it, I can see it right now. Um, And my dad had this like bar area, which to me at the time was really cool that we had a bar in our house. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, he had his bar area and I kind of thought of that as like his man kind of corner. And then he, to the left of that was his stereo station or its setup. And that's mm. where he had all the vinyls and the tapes and the cassettes and the vinyl player, the stereo. To me, it just looked like a huge, like towering contraption. We don't have them anymore in, in like this day and age. And I'm probably aging myself. But you know, like how old stereo systems used to be, like yeah, they like would legit be. like a tower, <laughs> like a piece yeah, of furniture. like yeah. literal like a tower. So <laughs> he had that corner, or we had that corner in our house. And a lot of my early music memories are tied to like being being around that stereo system, or like dancing in front of it with my sister, my dad, just reciting lyrics or singing lyrics. I just remember, I, yeah, I remember that. I remember learning Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby with my sister. Dope. So it was like more, I mean, it was it was his system, but it was like kind of like the family system to a certain extent. For sure, for sure. Like, I think I connected early, like, oh, like, this brings joy. 
and this is like a unifier, like this brings us all together. And, you know, I also could see like my parents emotionally connecting with some songs more than others. So then it will make me pay attention to those songs and be like, oh, I need to figure out what they talking about. <laughs> you know? Like like something something is definitely happening there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and literally just watching their reaction and seeing certain parts of my parents or just other people even awaken from certain songs. So I'd be like, oh, I, I need to listen to that again. Yeah, or that, now I like this song too. You mentioned kind of like the, I guess, the physical quality of the, um, of the sound system. Um, but what sort of music was being played from it? Was it just like pop music or was it um, music from different parts of the world or... Was it like old, like black music? Like what specifically was being played in the system? And I, I guess at different points too, like were certain songs re- reserved just for holidays or special occasions? Or right. Did, did, were there points where you were actually able to choose what music or did you always receive it? Like <laughs> Right. Um, so it was always a smorgasbord. That's what I should say of music okay. <laughs> from that stereo system. Um, parents are Nigerian, so... Uh, you know, we listen to a lot of ethnic, like, cultural music. We listen to, like, Sunny Ade and Fela Kuti. They love Sade because she's Nigerian. So a lot of Nigerian music, for sure. Um, then my dad is really into blues and jazz. So um, we listen to a lot of Van Morrison. Um, just a lot of, like left stuff my dad liked a lot of blues people that i would never hear um like at my friend's house or anything but it was just very it was all over the place like it could be mariah carey it could be whitney houston it could be michael jackson my mom loved prince so we would listen to a lot of that it was just from all yeah i would say from all over the world um and it also sounds like too it's the type of music that like kind of makes you move which I feel like yeah, it wasn't like we're going to sit here and kind of be meditative and, not, you know, be kind of static and like take it in. It's like we're, yeah. act, we're going to be actively engaged with this music, which is kind of dope. Yeah, it was it was upbeat music at times. Some of the blues stuff, I think I it, it could be rhythmic, but I could I feel like I picked up that it wasn't always like on happy subjects. or things. OK, weird. Um, but yeah, uh. Yeah. This is all happening for you kind of between what ages? Um, so my earliest my earliest memory of like my first time being like, oh, I want to learn this song was I looked this up earlier today to look up what year it was, and it was like ninety-two or ninety-three. Okay. So I was four years old. <laughs> young um, young Bella. <laughs> very young. But like I was I was very into um my dad bought the Brian McKnight CD, whatever CD has um one last cry on it. And I just remember like being enamored number one by the CD, the physical CD and like the the packaging of it, taking apart the the, um, you know, the booklets that used to come in them. Um, and I remember like sitting in front of the stereo and trying to learn the melody. So that was the first time I was like, oh, like I want to learn how to do this or like I'm I'm drawn to this in some way. Um, but like my experience or connecting music to my family 
originally like that spans my whole life like I think it's always a connector for us like even when I go home now it's like music is typically the thing we're like really really all collectively vibing on when would you say you first started making music Mm. I that's a good question so I feel like it was probably around like 11 10 11 12 in that 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 age range um like I realized like I really like singing and um you know my parents put me in choir and stuff at at the school which was just like a elective or a class I could take and I did that and then when it came time to go to middle school and we were changing schools um, like I, I pursued or asked my parents if I could apply to this performing arts middle school. So I think that that was the first time when I was like, oh, like, I know I really enjoy this. I don't think I knew like what I could do with it. I think I was just like, I'm, I know that I like this a little more than like everyone else in my choir class seems to like, or the majority of people in my choir class seem to like it. So, yeah, I would say around that age. And then once I was in the performing arts school, school didn't just become school. It was like, it's not like fame, but it's kind of like people are serious about their crafts. Like even at that age, like, you know, we had sectors and like some of the girls like in say the dance sector, they had been dancing since they were five and they were like professional fucking dancers, you know? <laughs> and I'm coming in there like, oh, no, you know, I like to sing. Yeah. <laughs> like I've been in the crib with my family jamming out. Like, right. Yeah. right, right, right. So it came, I think I started to look at it like, not in a competitive way, but I just was like, oh, like this is real, like this is a craft and like people are like studying this. And then, of course, being in the school, I was just exposed to, like, possibilities of, like, what you could do with it or, like, how you could pursue different art forms. So around, like, I, I, two of my friends in middle school, we all were in choir and we, like, formed a girl group. Um, <laughs> what was the, what was the name of the girl group? <laughs> I honestly cannot. You gotta go, you gotta, name. you gotta really think about it. Cause it's I know, I, I need to dig deep, but it was like, we had a state, like one of the girls' moms was like our full on stage mom. I spent like so many weekends at this girl's house. Like we would go, her mom would enter us into competitions and we would like go and perform around Maryland, get like matching shirts made in different colors like nice. it was very um very bootleg destiny's child <laughs> <laughs> very much so bootleg dc3 after these early years katrina continued her journey in and around music eventually landing a job at a record label the opportunity presented a lot of amazing benefits but it also changed katrina's perspective about developing her own music and presenting it to the world at that time, I probably hadn't written a song in two to three years. Like wow, I was, I was, time. yeah, I had been in like in, in that season when I was like working at the labels and doing the artist management, I was battling like a lot of, um, like imposter syndrome, like feeling like because I had been exposed to the business side, like no one would take me seriously if I tried to pursue like a creative or artistic personal artistry 
uh, approach like, well, this is the cards. These are the cards that were dealt to me. And like, I guess this is what it is. So that, that lapse in time where I, it was about six months that I took and I just was kind of trying to figure out what to do. And in those six months, um, you know, I was just telling myself, I need to at least break out of my shell and my bubble. Like, I don't like some people I had met in New York didn't even know that I sang. Like, I just never put that out as like a part of myself. Really, I just knew I wanted to sing in front of people again. And I knew I, I wanted it to feel safe and comfortable and, you know, not feel like I had to go book of show it come on everybody or something like you know I wanted it to feel like a little more intimate so kind of opened up the space I, I kind of created like a stage in one corner of the living room um got some candles some flowers some incense you know because you need the vibes it just felt comfy and I mean I was biased because it was at my house but I felt really comfortable and it kind of like opened it up. And then, yeah, that was the first one. That was the first session. So you pause, I guess, from like, it seems like from a functional and like a creative standpoint, just to kind of like recalibrate. But when you came back, um, why did you actually want to create a brand with the reintroduction? Mm. Um, so for one, like, I think with every session that we, did moving like as we did each one like there would just be continued interest in them like people would that that I did not know like because you have to understand like or remember that when it started it was all homies like people I I knew or someone else knew like the degrees of separation weren't that far it became something where like people that I did not know in any capacity were like messaging me or messaging the 565 uh, Instagram account and asking like, when's next one? So there was just like an interest in it and it was felt like it was organically growing. And I felt like, okay, well, I can't just keep piecing together these shows. Like I need to take this seriously and, or more seriously and think about it from a, from a business perspective kind of and approach it as a brand. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered all. Yeah, of no, that's because I'm always curious because like um, brands, they have kind of like a connotation, just even like historically, like when you're a brand, you follow certain rules. All, thinking about corporate culture and branding, it has historically not represented like truly independent stories and even like kind of certain visual motifs. So the idea that you would create a, a brand around something that is like kind of like anti-brand, I think is super fascinating. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm, kind of interested in this conversation just in general because it's like yeah like branding like brand is not really meant for stuff like this you know but yeah it like resonates in a different way because the source material that we're using isn't what would typically be used in like a traditional branding exercise and stuff like that yeah no I feel that I feel like I hear the word brand like I'm immediately thinking like capitalism and like, you know, like super big company, big corporation. Um, so even like, you know, when you asked me that question of like, well, what made you want to like approach it as a brand? Like internally, like I'm, there's part of me that's just like, well, damn, this is a brand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it feels kind of 
icky, that word. Um, but to your point, I think there is something really, it's received differently when it's coming from a pure place. Um, and beyond that, when it just, I feel like it's received differently even from your peers when something you're presenting, uh, you're, you're presenting it like with thought and like you, it looks like you put effort into it. And, and, and as if you're taking yourself seriously and something that you love seriously and something that you care about. So I feel like that was kind of some of the ethos around like why, or the thought around me being like, let me like up the Annie and like, try to like, you know, like take this a little more seriously, like, because it's not, it's not, it's not just like a thing in my living room anymore. Um, so yeah. You had a pretty clear brand direction, brand vision. Um, were those references that you had like kind of just in your library or had you created like a brand vision specifically for 565? Hmm. Yeah. So we used, or we looked at a lot of, um, I looked at a lot of seventies, like motifs and uh, palettes and designs and brands just for inspiration for, um, the rebrand and the logo that you designed or just like the inspo. I didn't have it like stacked away as some, like the inspiration for 565. It was just when you asked me like some of the, the questions you asked when we had our first call or discussion about the logo, it made me think about, honestly, like a lot of your questions helped me like probe into like, well, what, what do I want this? logo to look like or what do I want this brand to look like do you remember specifically not to test your memory again <laughs> do you remember specifically like what questions were because we were just kind of like flowing in our conversation but <laughs> I feel like you asked me about some of the origin story um I think you asked me like what emotion I, I wanted people it to evoke like when people saw the logo I went to and, and on the internet. So it was just looking at different things that were inspiring to me or that I remember loving visually. But the, I feel like the thing that took me to Soul Train was just kind of like, I was thinking about the feeling of 565. Mm -hmm. Like if I go back to the origin story and like the, how cozy and like com comforting and warm, it felt like not Soul Train was, probably like drugs and like madness. <laughs> but tell me just real quickly about like, I guess your, like what Soul Train kind of means to you. Cause I think that that's really like something that is exactly my idea. Like your reference was something that's super black, but it has like a really strong visual kind of uh like style. And it's like, yeah, this is the type of stuff that at work, I wish it was like, yo, we're going to kind of use Soul Train as our brand reference. And then we're going to build something super contemporary. So I'm curious, yeah. like, what about the Soul Train motif? Or just even the vibe of the show overall resonated with you? Yeah, the motif itself, like, I love the curvature of the letters and how they overlap. Um, it just, it like, there's there's nothing rigid about the the Soul Train logo. Like, it the letters start kind of like moving into each other or something. So it reminds me of 
it reminds me of like energy and movement and dancing. Like I, I feel when I see the Soul Train logo and it's definitely by association, but I feel like then I'm vis- visibly in my mind watching a Soul Train episode. Um, and yeah, the show I love because it was black. Um, it showed black joy, black communion. Um, it, it just looked like a source of fun with music involved yeah. <laughs> you know i i uh, that's what i can think of immediately and then in that era i love that a lot of times it's like pastels or warm colors like colors that all make sense to each other um with each other uh yeah it just felt good um so when i gave you like the two different directions just generally what were your thoughts or kind of like, what was your excitement about certain ones? What was your issue with others? What was your indecision? Right. Like, just walk me through that process. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you gave me two options and I felt like one was really obvious and then one was really abstract and like kind of left. And Honestly, like I knew I was immediately drawn to the the more abstract or like um, just departure from, I don't know what I would call it, just like expectation of what the logo would be. And I was drawn to it, but I, my, my qualm with it was that I felt like maybe people wouldn't be able to read that it said 565, like, is it obviously 565? Um, and then the other one evoked, uh, like the soulful element of, um, the Soul Train logo. Like it was a little, like, there was like more curvature in it, like, or, or just thickness to it. It just was like, I don't know, like the five was like P-H-A-T fat instead of. Do you know what I mean? Let's go. It was like the five has the meat on it. And then the five on the other one was like, I'm in the modern world and, you know, it's it's the paleo diet, you know? So I, that was my thing with the both of them. Like one of them was really obvious and I was leaning to that initially. And then the more I kept looking at the second one, it just, I liked that you had to like, kind of know you don't have to know what it says to read it i feel like it's elig- it's legible but there's some like an anonymity with the uh with the logo if somebody says they're going to 565 like you don't really know what it is you know you're just kind of like oh okay and i liked that that logo kind of fed into that just like mysteriousness um and I, and I liked the lines. I liked that it, it, it had some of that flow that the, the soul, I was saying the soul train logo had with it, where it's like one of the fives feeds into the six and I could see it. Like I could just see it more. Like I could see it on a t-shirt. I would want it. I would want to rock it on a bag. Like it just felt more, um, what's the word? It felt more versatile. Cool. That's that's it. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> You're my first, your like first official interview. Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> 
Um, but cool. Um, I appreciate your time, Katrina. All right, Lou. Have a good night. Special shout out to Katrina Bello, founder of 565 Sessions. Be sure to follow all the links in the description to get details about Katrina and 565. If you've gotten this far, you've officially finished the first episode. Be sure to tune in because there's a lot of cool stuff on deck. Until next time.